is the Church Law Podcast, where you can get practical solutions for today's leaders. I'm your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. to the Church Law Podcast. I'm your host, Erika Cole, known as the Church Attorney. And today we are talking about legal issues for churches in pandemic times, including answering your questions. When it became apparent that large crowds could no longer gather because of health and safety concerns, in-person church services essentially halted. While the COVID-19 crisis and global pandemic are not exactly over, discussions about the post-pandemic church are well underway. In the legal world, we are also seeing a wave of new questions surrounding mandatory vaccinations and other FAQs that we hope to address today with my special guest. Today on the Church Law Podcast, we have Dr. Galiat Satos who is a pulmonary and critical care medicine physician. And he also serves as the assistant professor in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. He has a commitment to work with churches and religious organizations to be a resource, especially in these COVID times. So welcome to the Church Law Podcast, Dr. Galiat Satos. Oh, it is an honor to be here um, and excited to uh, engage with you and your uh, listeners. Thank you so much. Well, we know that you've got a busy schedule and obviously it's been a busy time for you. (laughs) Can you describe for our listeners what it means to be a pulmonary and critical care medicine physician? Yeah, no. um, And I'll I'll come at it with the lens really from the critical care standpoint. Uh, Critical care medicine is a field of medicine that tends to help patients uh, going through really extreme physiologies, extreme where it's, it's life-threatening essentially. And, you know, whether it's an endocrine issue, like oh, my diabetes is out of control and I need a insulin IV therapy to, of course, uh, most commonly known, you know, the pneumonias of the world who uh, ravage our lungs and necessitate uh, really intensive interventions to help with oxygenation and uh, work of breathing. That's what we do. In the last year, a year plus with COVID, I mean, our, our profession really has been at the forefront of hospitals to manage patients with COVID-19. I mean, this isn't just a simple hospitalization. This is, we need critical care resources and people with critical care experience to help these patients, these individuals, these citizens survive. No, that's really a great backdrop. And I can imagine that you didn't exactly anticipate that you would be going into a global pandemic when you chose this area. But I know that you're the co-director of Medicine for the Greater Good, which works closely with churches and the faith community and has as its commitment to know the science, know the patient, and know the community. I really loved learning about that. Um, I listened to your TED talk, and one thing I appreciate is that you went through this program where, as the medical community, you were looking to bring these services to a church, and you're expecting them to take advantage of these screenings, these free screenings, but they did not. Can you just talk about what you have learned in your work with the faith community? 
Yeah, no. I, and so you're, you're spot on. You know, my uh, other hat that I wear is I try to emphasize the benefit of a hospital center engaging with a community and not engaging in a manner of, let's do another health fair. Those are fine. They have a place and time. I get it. People need free pens. Don't get me wrong. But it's really, can we work with a community allocating the resources they need that they identify with health, right? If we are truly to be partners with the community, we need to be seen as partners with the community. And working with faith-based organizations has always been, no pun intended, has always been a blessing, right? They reach populations that hospital and healthcare professionals can't reach. They disseminate the messaging much more effectively. And they do it because it's done in a culturally sensitive way, right? Science is a very objective truth. And science alone is not going to motivate a lot of human beings, right? If it's culturally relevant, if it prioritizes what my identity is, then you'll get me going. Right. And that's why we really love working with, you know, imams to rabbis to reverends to bishops to priests. They can understand how to take the science and say, this is how it applies to my community. We've done that extensively during the pandemic. And I say this because here in Baltimore City, we just had a report put out yesterday of how well we're doing in regards to keeping our numbers low. And I make it clear, it is not because of doctors and nurses. We're, we are your last line of defense. Right. Managing COVID is a different conversation. Those who can go out and promote the science, promote the health in a manner that the population understands it, grasps it, identifies it's important to me and my culture, those are the individuals in the front line. And honestly, it's been a lot of the faith-based groups here in the city. That's so good. I'm going to ask you to look on the other side of that coin. I'm curious, have you had challenges? Because from a legal standpoint, there are challenges that have matriculated through the court system where churches have said, we're not going to have mask mandates in our within our community. We're going to gather indoors and we're not going to require um, vaccinations or anything of the sort. So we're not going to social distance. All those things that we've come to know as at least from science has told us these are the best methodologies. Um, have you run into those issues in the church community? And if so, how have, have you addressed those things? So have we run into them? Of course. Is it a, a, an abundant uh, amount? Not really. And it could be the bias that I have, right? Hey, we're out here. We're happy to help. But for those communities, I mean, what I really make it clear is like, let's get together. I, I'm, this isn't patriarchal where I'm finger wagging and telling you to do this. I want to hear your concerns, right? Because, you know, the analogy that I try to use to everyone is, look, and maybe it fits for some people, maybe not for others, but I'm like, if you like a motorcycle and, and like getting on it or a bicycle and you'd like to ride it, you're still going to put on a helmet. The helmet doesn't deprive you of the enjoyment of the ride. It just allows you to do it safely. And that's what we're asking in the same context with these infectious control policies that allows us to be at one with each other and gain the, the benefits of the service of the worship service, but allows you to do it safely. So you leave with the, with a spirit and not with COVID, right? That's at the end of the day, that's the emphasis here. And there was one reverend who's kind of joined me for a couple of the conversations and he'll interject, you know, he does it better than I do. And he goes, it's not a conversation of trusting in God. It's a conversation of not tempting God. And that's why we want to work with individuals. You know, God works through us. He works through human beings. And that's, you know, taking that into context, a lot of these congregations who may have seen, you know, uh, resistant at first, when you come to them, one human being is another, hear their concerns, and we relay the science in a manner that 
they can understand, you know, not that they can understand in a way of like, how do I apply it? So we still feel like we are making that decision. Then we, you know, I've never, to those, to this date, those congregations we may have hit with some resistance, they've all been converted into practicing this. So it's, and, and I say this not like as a win, but as a human being working with another human being, you know, one of them even said, he's like, I'd rather be a hypocrite than be wrong all the time. Right. So that change of heart can happen. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Thank you for sharing that example. Well, related to this. So now that we are, gosh, well over 18 months or so in dealing with COVID and COVID related issues as a physician and a physician who teaches other physicians, um, what should church leaders be thinking about at this time? Yeah, no, of course. So one thing that I'm hoping to capture in this moment to translate it into a movement is really, hey, let's begin this medical community partnership, right? For the pandemic and post-pandemic, because health issues will still be abound. So what I would really strongly emphasize to a lot of the church leaders is reach out to your local hospitals or healthcare systems and begin to have that dialogue. They make sure it's done in a manner where it's bi-directional. Both parties are trying to emphasize a promotion of health, health what the community defines as, and health potentially what the hospitals may define as as well, because they are different, they are different. So start that partnership now, right? If you haven't already. And now COVID-centric, just continue asking, what can we do to stay safe? I, I gave you the example of the bicycle earlier because we really, we know a lot about this virus that allows us to stay comfortably. We can reemerge in the public. You, can just, you just have to do it safely so you're not catching COVID. And so for the church leaders, I would say, what can we do to stay safe, right? And that may mean, hey, let's have a virtual tour of the congregation or come in and see. This last Sunday, I was at a beautiful worship service where I was allowed to go up and talk for 10 minutes about the pandemic. And when I looked out into the crowd, everyone was face masked, everyone was physically distancing, and it looked like a good deal of people for that hour service that they were there. And when I left, you know, one of them handed me the bag and then I opened it up, right? It, it tells you, it outlined the service for the day and the readings from the gospels, but it also had face masks, hand sanitizer, and the communion to go. And I'm like, they got, they get this, right? So meaning these are just adaptations to allow us to still be human and allow us to, to, again, receive the word of God, but do it in a manner where we're not leaving with COVID. I mean, that's key here. And so from my standpoint, what I would really strongly suggest to the church leaders is talk to the healthcare professionals, make sure you can create a great setting in the churches where you get these benefits from your community without putting them at risk, especially with the fear of COVID and all its variants. That's such a good and timely message, shall we say, (laughs) because you are seeing this in action. And I will, you know, I just want to mention from a legal standpoint, obviously, the greatest consideration around the possible liability of a church or its leaders is someone contracting the virus while at church, right? That is the thing we want to make sure we avoid from a liability standpoint. And I will say I have a number of churches who have decided that they may approach these things varying ways. Some have exclusively remained online. Some have had this hybrid situation where they're both online and in person limiting the numbers, as you well know, for a good deal of the pandemic, you know, our governor and the governor of any given state would outline, you know, 
what percentage, what capacity a church could have. But now I'm seeing that many churches are taking that on themselves. They are acknowledging that even though there may be lawfully, we could have greater numbers, we're going to reduce our numbers and we're going to reduce the length of the service. You suggested like an hour in your experience. So reduce the how much time we're here. We're going to actually have physical distancing, have mask mandates, and make sure that we are all able to return safely to our families. So I think that the legal side of this from wanting to prevent harm and liability and litigation, frankly, it goes alongside the, the medical component that you've outlined. So that, that's really helpful to hear. You know, and it, it, you're spot on. And that, look, where we're at in this uh, moment of time is, you know, people want to feel like they're being heard. And if there's any resistance, it, it still comes from a, a humane source where you can still talk to people. And, you know, the faith leaders know that too. I mean, they, I mean the concept of love thy neighbor, I mean, it's really exemplified during this time, right? Because you have to keep in mind, whoever catches COVID and is dying from it, caught it from someone who probably shared it with them and it didn't know, you know, without the precautions that were necessary. I mean, and if, you, if we keep acknowledging that, like every person who's passing away from COVID caught it from someone, not with the intention to give it to them, but caught it, because of not following through with the request of how to not spread it. And once you put that under a spotlight and align it with a lot of values that the church preaches, suddenly you realize it is our responsibility to end this pandemic, right? If we really want to reemerge back into, you know, without the physical distancing and so forth, it's our responsibility. Mother Nature has thrown us at a curveball. It is testing us. Unfortunately, you know, coronavirus you know, it, it, there's so many things about it that just, you know, sounds almost when you're reading it as a scientist, like even biblical to some extent, you know. And so from that standpoint, it just, it really relies on us just coming together and ending it. And so I, I do applaud a lot of the faith leaders to get this, you know, because they want to care for their parish. They want to care for their congregants. And I, I from that standpoint, I will say, from a leadership standpoint, it's almost uniform, yeah, universal where all of them want to know, what, what can I do? For this Friday mosque session, what can I do? For my Sunday school, what should I be doing? So I really applaud them. A lot of them really have stepped up. And from my standpoint, they've been the best promoters of public health information, better than your CDCs, your NIHs, your Hopkins. They've been the best ones. And again, because they're doing it in the language that their community grasps and understands. It says, yeah, that's, that's what I'm about. Yeah, that's very powerful. I want to ask you a hard question and you may or may not uh, weigh in. uh, But when we spoke about this time last year, um, the first time we, we met and we were doing a webinar and we were talking about church reopenings. And frankly, Dr. G, I did not think we'd be still having this discussion. In my mind, COVID would be over. We'd be back to life as, you know, air quotes, normal. Do you think we'll still be having this discussion this time next year? Will COVID still be with us? Oh, crystal ball, crystal ball. I will say this. I think, so if it's a yes, no question, I do think COVID will be around next year. Now, if I'm allowed to give it from a spectrum perspective, I think, again, with the due diligence of promoting the science of with the solutions of how to end this and people following through with them, right? Because we're all responsible to end the pandemic. 
whether we get the vaccine or getting the vaccine versus following through with face masking, physical distancing, we all have a responsibility, right? We all have to play a role to end this pandemic. So I, I do think, and this is my, my, my faith in humanity, I do think we will greatly mitigate COVID-19, where it, while I do think it'll be around next year, told you yes or no, but from a spectrum, I think you'll just have it like regionally impact here and there, where like a little bit of a, not a massive wildfire anymore, but like a little bit of a bushfire here and there, and we can go and kind of stamp that out. I think that's how this will play out ultimately. That's great to hear. And and you, you mentioned vaccinations. And again, um, from a legal standpoint, we are now seeing an acceleration of mandatory vaccinations, whether it's for schools, obviously in the medical field, many employers are mandating vaccinations in order to even come in the building. What are your thoughts about mandatory vaccinations and how they may impact the ability of the church to be the church and operate in its pre-COVID status? Yeah, I've had these conversations with churches. I said, you know, like, for instance, if you want your choir to sing, I mean, first, let's let's just emphasize what the vaccine does. The vaccine, its studies, the studies of the vaccine were intended to say, will this prevent hospitalization and death? And overwhelmingly, the vaccine showed to do that. And then you launch it out of research into the public setting and see if there's any other benefits the vaccine can provide us. And another study that came out later, seeing this go forth, showed that the vaccine takes away, greatly takes away one of the key variables that allowed this virus to become a pandemic. And that was asymptomatic spread, right? I'm spreading it without even knowing it happened, which made SARS-CoV-2 different from its predecessors. SARS-CoV and MERS-CoV epidemics, public health crises in 2003 and 2013, respectively, but they spread with symptoms. They needed a cough, a sneeze. They needed you to exhibit some uh, symptoms of being ill. SARS-CoV-2 didn't need that. It spread in, in an asymptomatic individual. The vaccine takes that away, meaning even if you have a breakthrough case with a mild case of COVID, you will only be shedding it if you're vaccinated when you have symptoms, which again is easier to identify. And hopefully you're a good human being saying, I'm not going to spread my germs. I'm going to stay home. That's key. So that's another huge win. So what I talk to them is if you feel comfortable talking to your choir about the vaccine status, if they're healthy and they feel fine, let them go and sing. If they're not feeling well, then of course, then stay home. If they're unvaccinated, then that's the, the chance your role is, could they be infected with COVID? I mean, that's such a fear that we have in all of this. So from my standpoint, I think every private company uh, you know, has to weigh in about why they will want to mandate here and there. Am I in favor of mandates? I think there's a utility in them. From my standpoint, I still think there's a greater utility in talking to the community. I mean, this is where the late work has to happen. Go in and talking to them and so forth, helping them understand why it's necessary. With that said, I can't fault a business if they're like, let's do a mandate. I think that's reasonable. And you know, one of the businesses I was talking with, they're like, we don't have health insurance for our employees. We, we can't have them out sick. So from their standpoint, that's why they opted to mandate. And so to each their own from a private group, but I don't think the mandate should come at the expense of not talking to people and having them feel comfortable for the decisions they're making. For a congregation, I think it's up to them to know their, their congregants best, who they're working with, and how they would foresee the vaccine status. And from my standpoint, as I said, like promote the science, right? Whether you're checking vaccine cards or not, that is up to you. You know your community and how they will respond to that. But at the end of the day, you know, vaccines were created by human beings who work, you know, as I said, God works through us. And so from my standpoint, you know, this is one of the best interventions that we've ever 
come up with to meet up there with the spaceships to, to the moon. And so being able to have these conversations from one human to another, I think is important. And so from my standpoint, long story short, mandates, I think there's utility in them, but I sh- they shouldn't come at the expense from having conversations with people so they feel comfortable knowing how they're helping end the pandemic. No, that's, that's super helpful. I know that we're um, going to be wrapping up here and you've got to run. Um, but I just want to mention, I got a chance to check out your book, Building Healthy Communities and the Medical Religious Partnership. And that is a strong part of your work. Um, can you just share with our listeners a little bit about the book? And we'll also include the details in the show notes. Yeah, no, of course. So the purpose of the book is to kind of everything we talked about for the last 30 minutes about the pandemic. That's what we've been doing pre-pandemic, right? We see a massive benefit in engaging with the community to promote health and prevent disease. And I say this because sometimes we realize hospitals actually tend to preach. So let's see if this analogy works. Hospitals tend to preach from the gospel of medicine, even though the community is working out of the Bible of health, right? And so what I'm alluding to that is health and medicine are not synonymous. And so going out into the communities, understanding what health means to them can be utilized in a way to have a bi-directional impact where we all work for a similar purpose, staying healthy, and hospitals can tell you what we can and can't do and what resources we can send out to the community to fulfill those gaps of things that we can't do. And so from my standpoint, I truly think, honestly, the way any city is going to be established as the healthiest city in the world isn't by having a a Johns Hopkins or a UCLA or a Cleveland clinic in the city, those help, that's fine. But it's going to be the collaborations to do with the community. And faith-based organizations have been a constant public trust. They've been a constant uh, utility in a community with resources and so forth. They've always been there to help. They have an identity. They have a hierarchy of organization. They're just amazing. And so from my standpoint, if we want, if medicine wants to become a public trust, we've got to work with, with entities that have the public's trust. And that's why we've always seen such great benefit with these medical religious communities and uh, medical religious partnerships. Thank you so much, Dr. Galiat Satos, for being with us today and for your deep commitment to the church community. This was an awesome discussion. We will link your book, Building Healthy Communities Through Medical Religious Partnerships in the show notes. And listeners will be sure to keep you updated as we move through this unique time. And feel free to share your comments and questions with me. I plan to read each of them and maybe I'll get to answer your question on an upcoming episode. Reach me at contact at takethenextcall.com. And subscribe to the Church Law Podcast to get each new episode and join us on this journey. This podcast is brought to you by Church Law and Tax, part of Christianity Today's podcast network. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that the host and the publisher are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional person should be sought. Due to the nature of the U.S. legal system, laws and regulations constantly change. Listeners are encouraged to consult with legal counsel 
to verify the information provided here remains current. Visit churchlawandtax.com for more insights. Thank you.